Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. I just hit record, so oh we can start when we want to start. Annie, what's on your mind? It just hey. says FR. On the <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so every day for anybody who's listening, or every week we do the podcast, uh, we have kind of an outline, and I got sidetracked, so mine says FR. I was starting to write for- the word frivolous do you okay. not know how to spell it is that what happened no i just got i started <laughs> typing and then somebody said something and i off i went um so fr so i was writing the word frivolous because i thought well i want the the frivolous topic i was wanting to uh, talk about was we saw top gun a couple days ago the All fam right. and i and you went to the danger zone we went to the danger zone and i missed my calling as a fighter pilot um but they all have call signs. Yeah. And so we were like, well, what, you know, what would our call signs be? Yeah. Danger zone could be a cool call sign if that's not already taken. I don't think it is. But, you know, Maverick is, you know, an mm-hmm. Iceman and um, others are like Coyote and Warlock and Cyclone. And so. Because of your obsession with Edgar Allan Poe, I think you should be Raven. Okay. That's what I think. I like it. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. And the question is then, do you, do you get to decide your own call sign or do you, or, you know, like do other people assign it to you yeah. um some of the ones in the new movie were phoenix and rooster and hangman and i think it has to be assigned to you and i think it has to be after some like event yes so um like if you i don't know like if you you came out of some situation in some yeah. crazy way like oh you made it out alive and then they're like oh and then they give you a they right. give you a something they well i think your your call na- call sign should be a uh, robot there you go. I like it. Or that. just like the wheeze. <laughs> no. I don't get it. I don't either. <laughs> just like an old man dying yeah. noise. Yeah. <laughs> I I think robot. Here's the thing. Robot. I don't think you can assign. In fact, I I hate when people try to give themselves their own nickname. Yeah, like that and Seinfeld they... episode, T-Bone. He's like, call me T-Bone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then they keep on asking you. We, we were in like a, a webinar. This guy was teaching it. And he had a nickname and he kept on wanting us to call him that. And I was like, that's a goofy nickname. I don't know why you have it. And why are you telling us? Just tell us your name, man. What was I don't it know or you... do you not want to say? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but it was it was just one of those things where like you can't make up your own nickname no. or call sign. There's no way. Yeah, that's not right. So Robot Raven and we got to think of one for you. Maybe yeah. to be determined in a yeah, later. I'll come up with something. No, you can't. <laughs> we just said. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. That's okay. It's got to start with an R. If I'm, you're robot and I'm Raven, you got to right. be an R too. Well, we'll we'll I'm, come back to it. I'm pretty vanilla, so I don't think there's yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to start things out, and I'm I've been really happy to hear how many or see how many people are emailing us. So I want to cool. maybe read some of the emails that we're getting. Oh, uh, we've got three emails. Thanks, guys. Thanks and, for the feedback. And there's some more, but here's I just thought these are really really helpful. Are we adding like a Q and A portion to this podcast? Fun, yeah, I think so. Great. Okay, cool. Well, I just thought they were really helpful. Uh, Sarah is a member of our congregation. She's also a, a, a therapist, a, a counselor. And, oh, and she probably has things to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're probably just <laughs> spitting straight lies I every know. week. She's cleaning it up. No, actually, she had a lot of good things to say. She So we had that podcast on anger, right? And she just had some really helpful comments about you know, anger being a secondary emotion that mm-hmm. usually is masking uh, sadness or anxiety mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. fear. And that's so true. I mean, our one of our daughters, she is... So it's not Jonah this It's not time. Jonah. <laughs> but she gets angry, and I think she's angry, but it's usually she's, um, you know, sad about something or anxious about something, and I get so frustrated when she gets angry. But then you ask two questions, and it's like, I'm really sad about this, or I'm really anxious about this. So I thought that was really, really good. And she talks in here, she says, validation is so important in helping people improve their emotion regulation abilities and to be willing to make changes. I don't tell people that they shouldn't feel an emotion. Sometimes they just come around, and it's human for them to happen. However, I use the word effective a lot with people. I'm wanting people to do the work it takes in the situation to not add more guilt and shame um, just because we're having emotions. 
and maybe a lot of them doesn't mean we need to be acting on them all the time. So we've talked about that. You know, so you can have an emotion that comes in. I can have anger. I can validate it. Um, and then I should, uh, it doesn't mean I need to act on it. I don't mm-hmm. I mean I need to live in it. In the pastor's coaching network that I'm in, we talk a lot about an acronym IVA, identify, validate, align with scripture. Mm. So that's really important because to identify what you're feeling like, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad because sometimes, you know, you don't even know what you're feeling. Validate it. There's a reason I feel this way. And now what does scripture actually say? So I thought that was really good. But what I really liked is she sent these, these handouts about what you're supposed to do with these three emotions. So fear, she says, if fear fits the facts, um, you, have to, you have to identify if, mm. if it's actually real fear. If, is it fit the facts? Uh, if there's a real threat. And so a good fear is if your life is under real danger, your health, uh, your well-being, what you or someone you care about. But if it's not justify or not effective, do you know what you have to do? What, is the, what do you think is the opposite you're supposed to do if you have a fear that's not justified? Confront it? Yeah, probably go into it. Yeah, as much as you can. Do do what you are afraid of over and over mm. and over again, which mm-hmm. is the opposite of what we usually do. You know, we usually run from it or coping mechanism and and then try to find um, a sense of mastery or control over your fears. Uh, keep your eyes open uh, when you're we're in that fearful event and, and pay attention. So I thought there was just some really good, good stuff. Sadness, you know, she said um, sadness fits the facts if the situation um, – is that you lost someone or something permanently mm-hmm. that things are not the way that you want or expect or hope them to be. So that's legitimate sadness. But if it's not justified or it's not being effective, then you have to do the opposite. Get active, avoid avoiding, build mastery, do the things that make you feel competent and, and uh, self-confident, and increase pleasant events. Um, when is sadness not justified? Can you... Can anybody think of an example like like self-pity? Oh. Willing yourself to be sad and mm. so that you don't have to shape up, straighten mm. up a little okay. bit. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I I think it's I can also I see the fear one, but this one I I don't see as much. Y- yeah. Or maybe you know, it says here when you've lost something permanently. Have you really lost this thing perma- is there is that really absolute fact? Ah, okay. Um I also think maybe um, if you if you're grieving too long, like you haven't fully accepted oh. it, and you're just continuing, and it's not, and and it's not just not only not justified, but it's not effective. Is this really going to keep helping? You know, you have right. to go through that process process of grief, but is it helping anymore? Is it helping you move through it anymore? So I thought that was really really good. Hmm. Uh, the opposite actions for sadness is also be present in the moment, change your posture. You know, don't be hunched over. Um, look at you guys. We all adjust. Up. We all. Everybody is just. I actually up. didn't hear what you said. I just did that instinctively. My posture is terrible. It is. It's horrible. <laughs> Are you always sad? <laughs> don't ask that. <laughs> so I just thought that was that was really helpful. And then the third thing was on anger, and again, this idea of secondary. It's a secondary emotion, and she said, anger fits the facts of the situation whenever an important goal is blocked or the desired activity is interrupted or prevented. If you or someone you care about is attacked or hurt by others, if you or someone you care about is insulted or threatened by others, uh, if the integrity or status of your social group is offended or threatened. So that's legitimate anger. Mm. But um, if it's not justified or it's not effective, then you do the opposite. Um, gently avoid the person you're angry with rather than attacking. Take a time out. Breathe in. And this is what we do for Annie every week. We say, all right, Annie. Daughter Annie, not me. Oh. Or is it me? No, you. <laughs> I was talking about you. Oh, okay. Come off the ledge, Annie. It's going to be all right. <laughs> be kind. Um, all of the way opposite actions, you know, really go, uh, imagine understanding and empathy for the other person change your posture again and change your body chemistry, you know, with different breathing activities or run or do other kind of physical activities. So thank you, Sarah. Those are super helpful. Yeah. Bravo. And I think, and I think again, what I, what I always keep saying is good 
psychology is good theology. You know, mm-hmm. God made us psychological and spiritual beings, and so, um, so often Paul commands us to do the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. um, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lean into the thing uh, that that don't run away from run away from it, but but lean into it and do the opposite. So that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. More mail. This is from your friend uh, Sam Dobler, listening all the way from Arizona, I believe, right? Never met him. (laughs) (laughs) He'd probably say the same for you. You know, he talked about, uh, you know, different topics that he was interested in, um, singleness in the church um, and the culture of the church and dating in the culture of the church. We kind of touched on the hookup culture uh, already before. Role of small groups, are they really effective? Are we supposed to be doing this? And the role of the Sabbath. Um, so I really appreciate that he listens. You said that he waits for uh, waits for these, t- and when it's just a plain old sermon by myself, he kind of gets disappointed when he'd rather have the, the podcast. So thank you, yeah. right? <laughs> um, it means he likes Annie and I. It does that's not right. mean he likes Yeah, you. that's right. I appreciate that. I get it. Um, I don't know. Maybe we don't probably have time to go yeah, through all these, lot. right? Yeah. But we'll keep the. Is there one that you'd like to kind of respond to, Matt? You're oh, the not, single. Not right now, but but I think we should we should pick one of those to do okay. next time. Okay. The one I wanted to do today uh, from comes from another member of our congregation, Colleen, and she was talking about baptism, and we're we're actually going through this sermon series right now. Glad you asked. And some of the most frequent questions, which I was really surprised about are all around baptism. You know, this is like a hotly debated topic, especially in Christian circles. Um, and so she she says that, first of all, love in the podcast, probably mostly you two, right? Like you said. <laughs> yeah. um, and oh, she said, sure. the topic is baptism. Is it a heaven or hell thing? Um, in other words, if you are baptized, are you, are, if you're not baptized, you're going to hell. Why do we baptize babies versus waiting them, waiting for them to make their decision? and be old enough to make their decision. Jesus was baptized when he was 30 years old, for example. Is it wrong to wait? Also, if baptism is about the Holy Spirit being with you, is he not with you if you're not baptized? Um, And so she goes on about how this has been a conversation she's had with other Christians over and over again, and she'd love to hear what we have to say. So That's good. Yeah, so what do you think? Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, have you had any... Have you talked with people about either infant baptism versus waiting, um, is it a heaven or hell thing, or um, is this the only way that you can have the Holy Spirit? Any of those things kind of spark your interest? Well, I can share my own experience. I okay. was baptized as an adult. Okay. Um, the church that I grew up in uh, did not baptize infants because mm-hmm. they felt that it was an adult should mm-hmm. commit themselves and whatnot. Um, and so I was baptized. I was 27. Mm-hmm. And... It was eye-opening. Okay. And I think that people don't, you know, uh, you know, many, when you're baptized as an infant, you don't really get to experience, like, you don't know any mm-hmm. different. Sure. But it was, I mean, it was supernaturally, we- like, eye-opening. Wow. Like, I, there's just no other way to explain it. It just felt like a veil was lifted. Were you baptized in the church you grew up in, or when you're 27, you baptized? Here, I mean, at Victory. At, at Victory. Yeah, yep. Wow. And uh, with, Lo- with Logan, my, our younger son. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it was really cool, and I think that people don't, you know, a lot of people, you know, baptized as infants, like I said, don't get to see that or experience mm-hmm. that. So it was, yeah, it was it was weird. That's cool. Yeah, that's wonderful. You have any strong feelings, Matt? Um, I've had the I've had the discussion before. Um, I did I did a while ago, like I just like did a search for all the Bible passages that kind of talked about baptism, and so mm-hmm. I was just reading all those and. I think that there's a misconception about what baptism is, mm-hmm. um, and it's like this this decision you make to commit your life to Christ, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that, um, but no one talks about the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. and you can kind of point to like um, Philip baptizing the the eunuch from Ethiopia, yeah, and and it was kind of like it was kind of like he was committing he said he look there's water why don't i do this 
why don't why, is there any reason mm-hmm. I shouldn't be baptized? And it's, right. it does seem like he's kind of doing that. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of adult baptism that happens in the early church. Um, but the Bible doesn't really say a whole lot on the commitment side of things. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like it's crystal clear on the forgiveness side of things. Mm-hmm. And the, I would say like the only thing that you can really definitively say about baptism is that baptism forgives sins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what's lost um, if you fall into the camp of of people who uh, think that you shouldn't be baptized as a child, you should wait until you are ready. Mm-hmm. Well, you're always ready to For receive forgiveness. forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. You kind of right. need it right away. <laughs> yeah, um, that's good. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's I've, had, I've had that discussion before. Um, as as it, in terms of like, are you going to hell if you're not baptized? Um, no, everyone in the Old Testament was not baptized, and there's people, right, right, that, that are not going to hell there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that's the. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, this has been like a. 500 year plus debate in the church over who gets the baptized you know is it a priest a pastor is it a lay person can baptized um then when is it infancy you know there were some early christians i think it was origin who's in like the second century who waited or one of those early church fathers who waited to like the day of their death because they believed it was would forgive all their sins from before hmm so they waited till they, you know, the last moment to be baptized, um, and and then yeah, you have lots of examples, and then in the Bible of adult baptisms, you know, Jesus being baptized as an adult, and Philip and the Ethiopian, and and then Paul uh, at his conversion, getting baptized, and then um, the uh, the third question is how much water. Or what's the practice? You know, does that have to be full immersion? Does it? Can you just apply water? So oh, these are the, the the topics. And I guess where I stand on this, and don't kick me out of our church body, uh, but <laughs> here it comes. Here it comes. There's not a very clear Bible passage that can clean up all that mess. Mm. That that yeah, can say so too. Is that man made mess? We, yeah, I don't know if it's man made mess. It's just. Um, you have a lot of descriptive stories, so does that mean that that this has to be our story? You know, Paul had this radical conversion where Jesus met him on the road, and he went blind, and then he was converted. Um, it says when Cornelius, the centurion, was baptized, him and his whole household. Who did that all include? What it, were the ages? We don't know. So there's just a lot of open questions, I think we would say. And then, you know, how much water? Well, a lot of baptisms took happened by the Jordan River with, with John the Baptist, but does, does that mean that, you know, how that... I, the only verse I can really point to is Romans chapter 6, which says you are buried with Christ in baptism, so that when you are raised, you'd be raised to new life. And so I think that is a beautiful picture. Even Martin Luther talked about the beautiful picture of immersion. So it's like I'm going under the water, like I'm buried with Jesus, and I come out like resurrected. It's symbolic, though, more so than... Right, like a necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'd say... I, I don't know if we'd say the baptism saves you. Titus 3, what I'm going to be preaching on this weekend, it says, you know... You were saved through the washing with water through the word, but you were saved by God's mercy and his grace. So it might just be a, a you know kind of a discrepancy of words, but I think of it this way. Like if you're thinking about a vaccine or a, you know, a life-saving medicine, we would say the syringe is what was used as the means, but the medicine is what saved you. And I think we'd say, like, in that in that comparison, baptism and water are like the syringe, but it was actually saving you is the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And baptism is one way that God communicates his love. And so you said it was revealing. You were baptized as an adult, and I think we need more baptisms as adults. That's great to really communicate and validate that. You know, some people have that moving experience and, and feel that confirmation in the Lord's Supper as well. You know, I, I, 
almost every week when I'm giving out the Lord's Supper, somebody's coming up with tears in their eyes uh, as they're receiving the Lord's Supper. And this is faith comes from hearing the message. So somebody who hears the word and like that Ethiopian, he's already a Christian even before he's baptized. But I think this baptism is something you can point to, especially when you're in a season of doubt, to assure and confirm that I'm really a child of God. Like, I don't know, if, you, if, you're, if you're adopted and you don't really feel like anyone really loves you, you can appoint to that date of your adoption or those adoption papers. Like, you know, my, my adopted parents loved me even before we went to the courtroom that day. But that courtroom and standing before that judge and being adopted really validates that. So I think that's how I'm going to teach it this weekend. Well, uh, it doesn't, I, I don't think I'll be able to answer that debate because I have heard those things, you know, the people who've been baptized as teenagers or adults on what that really meant to them and that they were able to participate. It wasn't their parents telling them to get baptized. And you can't argue that a lot of the early Christians had that experience. Then there's that other side where the parents also feel a complete sense of um, comfort also that their children, are, their infants are even baptized, that they, they've given that child over to the Lord uh, to be a part of God's family. So I think I'm not going to solve that debate, and I don't—it kind of frustrates me when we we say, I think, too strongly, sometimes in the Lutheran Church or the Baptist Church, anyone who would practice baptism different than the way we do is a complete idiot. Mm -hmm. Because there's Bible verses and pictures and stories that you could point to that kind of validates both sides of that. So maybe— I mean, intention bait, like, you know, if the intention is there, like, it doesn't matter how much water or maybe it's right. more internal, intentional. I think so. And, and you know, I, I think it's also kind of, th again, that confirming thing. If somebody wonders, like, was I really baptized in a real Christian church or did they use enough water? If it's going to create doubt in your heart, mm -hmm. I, I think it's about the assurance and the comfort um, and so if, if, if some practice is leading you to maybe doubt the validity of, if you're, of your baptism, that's not good, right? So are you going to hell if you're not baptized? No, no. Uh, but, but this is probably the clearest way that God confirms his covenant with his people. Um, the history of baptism, maybe quickly, if I could do this quickly, mm -hmm. you talk about the Old Testament. I think what John the Baptist was starting when he he started baptizing people in the New Testament, it wasn't out of a vacuum. He wasn't like, you know what, I think we should go to the Jordan. Um, in the Old Testament, the priests, there was this big wash basin, and they would have this ceremonial washing before they went into God's presence in the temple. And now in the New Testament, we're called God's priests. And so... I think what John the Baptist was doing was he was taking people to the Jordan River, which is where they entered into the Promised Land and they screwed everything up, and he was saying, let's do this all over. Let's turn this around. Let's go back to the place that we entered. Let's be God's priests again and walk through these waters. And then Jesus validated that practice and used that practice. The same way I think that Jesus used the practice of the Passover and said, validate that meal, but I'm going to put a new message on it uh, with the Lord's Supper. So why did Jesus get baptized? That's a great question. Um, hmm. He, you know, John the Baptist tried to deter him in all in all the accounts. That, you know, John the Baptist tried to say, I, you know, you don't need to be baptized by me, I need to be baptized by you. So even John the Baptist realized that he did not need any forgiveness of sins. Jesus says to confirm all righteousness. Um, I think one of the ways was to identify with sinners was one reason. It also, in all, all the Gospels, it serves as a, at least the synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it serves as a almost an ordination of his ministry, that this is, Messiah means anointed one, that you're anointed, um, usually with oil, but in that, I think that's when God really kind of anointed him for the start of his ministry. And he heard the same thing, hopefully, that we believe are here. You know, whatever you experience at your baptism, Annie, you know, he heard, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, my chosen one. You know, and that's what we hear at our baptisms, is that God loves us and that, that, that he's pleased with us. So it's not for the same reasons that we get baptized. 
it, it served as the start of his ministry. It stir, served as a confirmation of what God thought about him. It, I think it validated the practice for all of us as a way to, to show that this is something that all Christians are to also follow in Jesus, and, and this is how he identified with sinners. What do you think? Hmm. Is that a good answer and all? Sure. It'll do. <laughs> I don't know. I'm asking you. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I'm thinking about Colleen and her, you know, these discussions with people. I just, I don't know how helpful they are. You know, like, what would, what would it help if I would say to, to Annie, you know, why did you wait till you're 27? You know, you should have been baptized earlier when this experience really confirms something from you that right. you can look back on and say a veil was lifted that yeah, day. Yeah, it was weird. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um. But I don't know how helpful that would be if somebody comes to me and says, you were baptized as an infant, that's not valid, you're not really a Christian, when hopefully I'm a Christian, you know, everything, I'm, I'm believing, I'm hearing, I'm trying to walk with Jesus. Uh, so I think a lot of these debates are causing unnecessary um, Discord, doubt yeah. and doubt in people's lives who already have enough doubt about their own sinfulness. Mm. So. Mm. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Or how much water was used or anything like what, what's the, why are we, why is this a thing? Right. Why are we, there's no to... real biblical, in other words, there's no real biblical support of that. Right. right? Like, of okay. You know, sometimes people use a shell. If you ever seen that at baptisms mm -hmm. to, and, and one of the reasons that's used is because in a catacomb, like this early kind of cave, um, there is a painting on the wall that dates back like first century of the early Christians, of the painting of Jesus being baptized, and a, a shell is being used by John the Baptist to pour some water over his head. Hmm. And a lot of people point to that and say, look, even early Christians um, were you. this is what they would do. They would take like a shell or something to pour water over the head, so it's not necessarily... Um, not necessarily have to be immersion. The other thing is there's a document called the Didache, which is the oldest document it's kind of a manual for how to do church um that was that's found it's like again from like the first century and they say in there that for baptisms all you need is running water or running water yeah so what so not not some standing water i guess yeah okay. some I, I i i'd have to look back on that but it's something like it, it was not making the point like it has to be immersion so people look to that and they say oh this is what the early christians took from the bible and this is how they practice it. They didn't. They didn't really speci specify that you have to have been immersion. So the debate continues. So and we're really not going to matter. Yeah. Does what, it matter? I mean, what matters, I think, is again your convictions. If you, if if this, if somebody feels like, oh, my baptism, maybe I, maybe there wasn't enough water. Maybe the the pastor was a, you know, a. Or he said the wrong words. Right. Remember, yeah, you know, exactly. you know we talked the Catholic about that. priest. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'd be comfortable rebaptizing somebody to whatever kind of help their conscience. Um, but it's about, like you said, the focus is on God's forgiveness, on God's action, not dependent on our action. And when we put too much emphasis on I, mm -hmm. you know, the we get that anxious fear and doubt. That doesn't need to be there, I don't think. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. It, it, it's take I think the devil is using it to distract us mm. from the comfort that we can take from our baptisms. One one little side note. Yeah. I don't know if you know this or not. Do you have any idea like um what the was what what was the significance of baptism before John the Baptist? Be I think the only practice that we know of is that that priestly practice of that ceremonial washing. washing and that he kind of seemed to use. Now, there has been some in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which uh, isn't, there was a group called, there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. And the Essenes were another kind of Jewish sect that was a contemporary of Jesus. And they seemed to have a practice, a similar kind of baptism practice, especially for Gentiles who wanted to uh, cleanse themselves from being Gentiles and coming into uh, the, the, the Jewish uh, group. 
so some people think that maybe John the Baptist was using that mm-hmm. as well, but it, it, I think it has more to do with um, picking, you know, using the symbolism of crossing the Jordan, entering the Promised Land, and crossing the Red Sea, uh, coming out of slavery, and then combining that with the priestly practice of ceremonial washing before you entered the promise or the mm-hmm. presence of God in the temple, and he took all that. And 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 he says God ta- told me to baptize. He said that there was actually a commission that he got from God, and then Jesus validated it. It's just interesting in the Bible. The Pharisees go to John the Baptist and say, "Who gave you the authority to baptize?" Mm. Right, implying that they know what it is. Yeah, but it, it almost seems like he invented it. Right, it's like, what are you doing bathing people down by the river? Like yeah. they they know that there it's, it's significant. People are going there. Yeah. And maybe that had to do with some of those Jewish practices of, of ceremonial washing or, or, you know, we don't really know besides some of these uh, doc. There's not a lot, I don't think, in any in, intertestamental documents. There's really nothing like this in the Old Testament besides what were done to the priests and some of the sacrificial rites, but really no lay person was going through lots of washing, unless you were unclean. Um, if you were ceremonial unclean, like you touched a dead body or you you did some of those things, you would you would have a ceremonial washing, and so maybe he's picking up on that and taking, you know, saying we need to start all over. I think m- the more of the significance of John the Baptist is going to the Jordan. That that's the river he chose, and that he really focused on repentance, and I think it was a visual aid, like hey, we need to turn around, start over, and this is kind of that signifying date that you started over. What's interesting is you talk about the Pharisees also. He, uh, the Bible says that, that the Pharisees did not believe because they had not been baptized by John. Almost like that baptism had that mm-hmm. uh, effective way of transmitting God's spirit and, and is an ouch again, like a syringe trans. Mm-hmm. as the means mm-hmm. of bringing the medicine of the gospel. Colleen, I don't know. I, I don't know if that helps or not, but thank you for the question. I say just if somebody wants to argue about time or amount of water, point them to the cross, point them to Jesus, focus on what really matters, and don't get caught up in scruples, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Matt, you had some things that were on your mind. Let's Let's hear it. I did. Um, so I wrote all these down. I'll just rip them off real fast. So my first, my questions are, what was your attitude toward church when you were a child? Mm-hmm. How is that different or the same as now? Mm-hmm. When you go to church, do you feel it as welcoming and relaxing or is it stressful? And how do you feel if you don't go to church? So just lots of sort of attitude toward, I don't know, organized worship, church. Yeah. being part of a congregation. Um, How would you answer those questions? Yeah, so um, I I don't know. As a kid, I mean, I was was ripped out of my bed at 8 a.m. in the morning, so I was automatically (laughs) hating it. They didn't Um, have a monster drink for you at at that uh, age. Would that have helped? I don't know. I mean, like, it was always, it was something you did. Like, yeah. we, we went to church on Sundays, yeah. every Sunday. You didn't skip church. Yep. And so it was, you know, I, I didn't really have a chance to be like, oh, I hate it here. It was like, you don't have a, ch- you don't get to hate it. Yeah. And you don't get to like it. Yeah. You just do it. Yeah. Um, and I, w- I just went through high school, through college. I would always go to, go to church. And then mm. a couple times I was like, I got sick for, I had, got sick with this or that um or i had covid or whatever and it was like i'm not going Corona. to church mm-hmm. and i feel weird mm-hmm. but at the same time i don't i don't you know i don't like to be told where to go and when yeah I you know see that. I, <laughs> I don't like to be on other people's clocks that's right so my my question for myself is if i were not forced to go to church uh-huh would I go uh-huh. or would I like be like, oh, I'll catch a live stream later. Yeah, maybe. And it wouldn't really be regular. It would yeah. kind of just slip and be like whenever I feel like it. Sure. And I would just be like, yeah, it's fine. I still go to church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just had a lot of thoughts there. But Is it something about 
how the church service is run? Is it the idea of worshiping? What do you think it is that then? I think as a kid, it was like, wake up early, dress in uncomfortable clothes, and sit on a wooden bench, and it's kind of boring. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like as a kid, it's just not an exciting place to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I... when I when I when I got a little bit older, I liked hymns. Sure. I I I, I do like um, organ music. I like that that uh, traditional style of music. Yeah. And now I like our contemporary music too. It's cool. Um, and softer I like chairs. Softer chairs. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> it's like I and I like um, I like a good sermon, mm-hmm. but. Uh, a lot of traditional church is reading mm. out of a, it's a lot of call and response yeah. um, oh. in heavily liturgical services, especially. Yeah. And when it was like communion, you're going through the old Christian worship yeah. and it was like service of the word and sacrament. And you're like, all that means to me is an extra 10 minutes. Right. Right. <laughs> That's what that right. means. And it'd just be like, Do you, oh, was God. it the way it was presented or was it the content? Because I've heard, I I appreciate traditional worship, liturgical worship. Mm-hmm. I did that for a long time, and I I could do that again someday if that if that's mm-hmm. what the Lord calls. Um, and I the first time I really appreciated it probably the best was my vicar year, my internship year. Uh, my lead pastor, who was kind of my boss, he made me memorize especially the absolution and the confession, and say it to the people without reading and with energy and with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, conviction, mm-hmm. and and he had that kind of, and the same thing about a sermon. Memorize your sermon, come prepared. You know, bring your best to this service. Mm-hmm. And I thought that made a big difference. Um, in people's response, yeah, you know, like, and just and just enjoying sense, it. Yeah. That it was not, you know, they were. Not, he was. No one was phoning it in. Mm-hmm. And what I've also appreciated about the ancient liturgy, and I appreciate that we still have the creed even in our congregation and some in the Lord's prayers. Whenever I would visit, we had a couple of people who had really severe Alzheimer's and I could go through that service with them and they would follow right along mm-hmm. and they would worship with me. But if I would have anything new, they couldn't. So some of these things get so deep into our brains and our psyche that mm-hmm. even a disease like Alzheimer's can't, you know, take it away. So I think that's really fascinating too. Um, I think the church, you know, so much of what, Rick Warren did in the purpose driven church out in Saddleback was to say, This isn't your daddy's church. Your this isn't your grandma's church. Mm-hmm. And try to take away the organ and replace the band, take away the pews and put in the chairs, take away um liturgy and have a more dynamic speaking and, and music. Um the question I have is is that enough? Is it not is it is it just enough to take out things that may have perceived to be boring or 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 not relevant? Or is it actually there's a rebellion against is this true? Is this actually is there really a God? Does he really or are we just getting together to, you know? Well, I've and I we've talked about contemporary versus traditional worship. Yeah. So maybe we don't have to, I I'm I'll try not to belabor that too much. Um I know to me though, there's sort of this like if we're all saying the same thing at one time and the idea is that there's communal agreement mm-hmm. on these age-old truths and i think for for me and maybe maybe people my age is just like okay so we're all like reciting these things like a unit and you're trying to tell me that we all believe this even yeah. though it's 8:30 in the morning <laughs> i can barely hear the person next to me <laughs> And also with you, right? It's just like a very low mumble. Yeah. yeah. And it's like no one's excited to be saying this. <laughs> this is this is very this is very plainly obvious is that no one's getting fired up about this stuff okay. that we're also saying is like has etern it's it's bigger than life and death. It has yeah. eternal consequences. You know. Yeah. It's like born of a woman, yeah. born or that's that's the Bible verse, but you know. Yeah. What you mean? So I don't know, but... Um, I think as much as we can, I know there's some pastors who do this better than others, and there's one that I, I think about a lot who's done a great job. He's very traditional, chanting the whole deal. 
I don't know if they, they might have, all the smells and bells. Mm-hmm. And, but he really, really focuses congregation on this is about God, not about us. Mm-hmm. And so there's always something to be excited about with God, whether I feel it or not. And it's about God coming to us. Kind of what you were saying about baptism. Like, if I'm going to focus on me and my, my action and what I'm doing in baptism and what we're doing in baptism, you know, there's not, that's not really the Bible focus. It's about God coming to us. And I, I think the church has exploded even in a, a very traditional high churchy congregation because I think the focus is on God. And much as we can do that, mm-hmm. that's, that can be exciting. So I'm going to, if I, if I can turn it around, I mean, so for both of you, what, what was your attitude towards going to church? Not did you love God, not were you a Christian, but I mean like going to church, standing, sitting in worship, yeah. the whole deal. As a kid, as a teenager, now, I mean, what did you, what was your actual like, your your gut re- reaction? When Hated you... it. But I also, I mean, I didn't, I did not grow up in, I grew up in what I would call a cult yeah. and, you know, services were two hours and we went That's on Saturday, Saturdays, <laughs> and um, I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of like, I don't know, resentment mm-hmm. for that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I did not like going to church. I, yeah. I dreaded it. I hated it. Describe the service for those oh, of us that boy. don't know. Maybe a, a hymn, and then like a little brief sermon and then like another hymn and then like a longer sermon mm-hmm. and then how maybe much of the bible was used i think I, I if i recall there was quite a bit now we left the church when i was like 13 okay so it's been a long time and mm-hmm. um the church still operates in various uh kind of split off and operates and mm-hmm. ver- still is operational um but so i don't really remember but i, I remember hating it and like I didn't get anything out of it, right. or at least yeah. you know consciously. Yeah. Um, I do. Th- I do attribute it though to to having a relationship with God. Great. So I I will at least give that the credit, you know. Right. Um, but I hate. I mean, I hated it. Yeah. It was. I dreaded it. And I don't feel that way. As soon as I came to Victory, you know, we, you know, our family's been here for ten years. Um, I I loved it, and I just wanted to be here right and i wanted i was getting things out of the message right. and i was you know so i i wanted to be here so very drastically different yep that's really good that's good to know that you like being here i do okay all right yeah good. i i grew up in a church it's kind of bizarre i didn't realize this going up there but there's a lot of weird dynamic between the two head pastors they were fighting behind the scenes, and I didn't realize it. But you, one would come out to preach, and the other would like leave. Oh, oh, yikes! And the other one, you know, and they never talked. Like even I was looking back, I found a directory in like a box somewhere, and like in the directory, like there's this picture of this one pastor outside, and the other, like they even on the same page of the directory. So it was just a bizarre thing. They didn't talk to other churches in the area. Uh, they didn't have any really connection there, and it kind of turned into the culture of the congregation too, where, Mm. where people, you know, emotion was bad. Talking was bad. There was no real entryway of the church. So there wasn't a place to congregate and talk to people. So it took a long time to build any real relationship. We were there for a long time. That being said, the pastor did take me on, uh, he knew I was kind of interested in maybe doing ministry somehow. I don't know how that happened, but I, he took with, took me to nursing homes and he, and he would preach and I would preach. And that was the best minute. Like, it was so cool because, like, he was just being normal. We were talking to people. We were helping people. I was like, this is what church is actually supposed to be like. And I actually got pretty excited about it after we did that. I think the best experience I had, too, I, I love Victory. Um, I also really loved uh, the smaller congregation that I was in before, too, because of when you know people and you know they really care and they they and that happens here i know like with your music team like you guys really know each other the media team you guys the serving teams you really get to know each other and especially if you've been here a, a while um i think relationships are huge and if somebody is checking in on you praying for you checking in in between you know during the week uh visiting that can really change. It, tur- it turns into a community. Well, and that kind of 
addresses maybe one of Sam's questions too about small groups. It's yeah. like sometimes I think you know when our, our we have a you know a good sized congregation, and yeah. I think we've talked about it before how it's kind of hard as a pastor to maybe be intimately connected with every single person. And so that's kind of where the small groups might step in or that sense of community and checking in on one another. And that's why kind of that's, that's valuable. But I think also pastors set the tone for the congregation. You know, if, if the lead pastor who started this church, Ben Kurth, just really start out with a very welcoming culture. His personality still kind of shines here. And then Pastor Bill, the lead pastor, also very fun personality, welcoming. And and so I think that sets the tone for what you say yes to, what you say no to, what you accept here, um, what you want when you come into church and, and what you expect. Also, you know, he, he really wants to pursue excellence, another core value. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. those things can also contribute a lot to what you're doing. And I think the music here is so, so very important as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So how do you, if you, if you skip a week of church, does it bother you? Well, this is, I think, something that we're kind of dealing with now a lot because we, you know, since the pandemic, our, our in-person numbers, and this is kind of, seems to be kind of universal, like yeah. in-person numbers are down. And I think right. we're starting to see a little, a little bit of a comeback. Um, I, I personally, you know, I, I think we're at church almost every week with a few exceptions. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, I guess on a week that I might have to miss, I don't feel bad about missing it. And usually I try mm-hmm. to catch the sermon, you know, later, but we, I mean, we try to be here. I don't think there is that cultural guilt that you, that maybe, I had when I was really young um, because our lives are so fluid where I'm listening to podcasts or I'm reading my Bible or doing the daily Bible read on that daily app. So it's not like my only spiritual interactions that one hour a week, um, but it is a high point. I don't know if, but, but I think there were a lot of sermons that, the application was when I was growing up. And if you were to choose, I mean, in Lutheran grade school too, if you were to choose sports over Sunday morning worship, right. you that's your idol. Now we have lots of options when to, to, to do those things. So I don't think, for better or worse, that that feeling of guilt is there anymore. Hmm. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why we do have lower church numbers, because... Our lives are fluid. There, we don't have these these blocks of time that we would dedicate to certain days. I do this. Mm. Our lives are just so fluid. And I the ch- culture has changed too. It's like you know, maybe maybe Sundays were reserved for yeah. church, and and there were no activities planned at that right. time, and there was no extra stuff, and that was just. But that's not how it is anymore. And right. You know, I think there's a lot of things with that, like. I remember I went to uh, a musical with my brother in Madison. We, my parents bought tickets for my for my my wife and I and, and then them. And he was just talking about how no one dresses up anymore when they go out to like it was like a. So there's just there's not a, our lives are just kind of the same. We don't like say I'm going out. I'm going to dress differently. I'm going to church. I'm going to dress different. I'm going to set aside this time. We're I think with our phones and technology, we're always kind of in and out of everything. There's not, and so our lives are, yeah, kind of fluid. Do you think that's okay? I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's how we are designed um, because it's hard to build a community. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if if it's helpful to put it in a good or bad character, like like Mm. right right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It just is now. You could fight it. You could say, no, we have to have everybody here 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen anymore. We can't anymore. control that. No. We have to control what we can't, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think when that does happen, that can be really helpful. Like, hey, we're all going to get together at this time. We're all going to be here. We don't have to think about it. It's all just going to happen. And now I just, I think that's one of the reasons why we're so stressed out is because we, we do have to always make the, there's always somewhere else we could be. Yeah. There's always something else that could be better that we're doing. We're always f- that FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. And if we just had some of these pillars in our week that we that nothing could touch, we wouldn't have to make all these decisions. Right. Mm. I'm missing on my kids' 
tournament if I go to church? Would that be better? Well, what if we lose every game in the tournament? Maybe I should be at church. Well, I could go to Saturday night, but then we do Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You know, all these decisions that we have to make right. that, that I, not, I think are not good. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. But the Bible doesn't say we have to have one day of worship. It says in, in, I think it's Romans 14, it says, one person considers one day holy, another person considers all days alike. You know, the Sabbath has been abolished in a sense, where we don't have to worship on Sunday or Saturday, although I do think it's a helpful pattern. Plus, as our as our as our nation and whatnot just is increasingly not Christian, right? There, you know, like I said, you know, there's just not really much regard, and people are scheduling, you know, things on Sundays, Sunday mornings, and um, there's just little regard for that time. Yeah, I still I don't know if I, the, guilt is the word. I think. I'm, I do miss it. Mm-hmm. If ever I miss, for whatever reason, um, even on vacation, you miss being with the people. Mm-hmm. So that's more of the feeling I have, like I missed out on a meeting with God and his people. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Yeah. Yep, that's good. But if, hey, if guilt works for you, that works fine too. We could try guilt. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can guilt people to come to church. That works. I, well, I mean, I, 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 uh, I genuinely think a lot of people come to church on guilt. You think so? Yeah. Maybe that's just because I'm pessimistic. But here at, th- at Victory, I mean, I could see that other places. <sighs> yeah, I don't know about here at Victory because people are always happy to be here at <laughs> Victory. <laughs> but I, I felt like growing up, that was that. I think that was a real thing. I think we in you know, there were three things that were applications in church. In like, no matter what the text was, you'd come around to say. Um, and now read your Bible more. That was one. Yes. And the, and then the next one was, and give first to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So giving was another application that was always kind of there, no matter what the text was. And then I think going to church. And so if you weren't doing, if you weren't doing a daily Bible reading and you weren't mm-hmm. giving to church, maybe a fourth one is and telling your neighbor about Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah that one for sure. Uh, those four things um, made you feel guilty. The Bible does talk about these are you know good things for us to do, um, but it's interesting you know what what people feel guilty about and uh, there's not always a very clear Bible verse that that it's more they had a preacher who this was his soapbox that he got on and and so you feel guilty about that because I don't feel I I almost kind of wish we had more of a conscience today where like I'm missing out on God, I'm missing out on being with, but I, I don't think the, my generation and under has any kind of guilt missing church. I don't think. Do I you? Think, yeah. Oh, for sure. Your friends? I don't know. I don't, I, I guess I haven't talked to them very much about this. Is it just because you grew up in a Wells household like myself? That It could be. I just, I, I wonder if how many people, um, you know, you think about your friends and I think about my friends, like it's not even on their radar, but like if they have nothing else going on, like, oh, this would be a really good thing too. Yeah. That's, that's... I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I've changed my attitude a little bit on it in r- recent years um, where oh, it's so weird when church is your job. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's like. <laughs> It's like, well, gee, I've gone 50 weeks out of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if I skip a Sunday, maybe that's not the worst thing. Yeah. Um, it does still feel like skipping a Sunday. Yeah. Right. But the, what's what's the reason? I guess, like, I think that would, pro- at least for me, would make me feel like, well, did I not go to church because I wanted to sleep in? Right. Or did I not go to church because I had to help my brother move? Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. it, what was the reason? Was it because I was... I am, at my kids' tournament, or was it because I was sleeping in and lazy? I, I, uh, I, I, for whatever, whatever my upbringing was, um, heavily motivated by the word should. Yeah. Ooh. And like when I go to sleep at night and there's like my Bible sitting yeah. on the, de- the desk or whatever, and it's like, I didn't read that today. Yeah. I should have. And there's it's a, and the I'm thing gonna is, buy you a book. It's entitled "Quit Shooting All Over Yourself." <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that. That's great. Um, um, no, that, that that I mean that's that's seriously how I feel. And it's like, and then I'll I'll read the Bible, and it's like, okay, I just read a chapter. 
I've already read that chapter. I don't think I got anything new out of it, but at least I did it. Mm. You know? And I I literally, I mean, I'll I'll read it and it's just like, okay, I knew that. You know, and I don't, I don't like, what am I supposed to do? Dissect every word? Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's, that's what I appreciate about this past I mentioned before, um, who seems to really do a good job of, it's about my relationship with God. It's about God. It's not always about, it's not about me. I think if we reduce Christian church to just another place that I get self-help tips, like I can get that on every podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can get that on every, I can get that anywhere, on any magazine rack. And it's not bad to get application. We want to do that in our preaching. But at, at the end of the day, it's about getting outside of myself, recognize that there's a God who's in charge, uh, who, who loves me and accepts me, and he's done incredible things in history. It's about his story. He's the hero, not about me. And that is such a healthy thing to go somewhere where I'm completely focused on somebody else and someone else, on God and the people around me. So I think that's that's the real reason that we do those things. Um, but I feel like we've reduced it so much to self help that people are like, well, I can get that anywhere. Mm. I don't I don't need to go to church to get good advice. I get that anywhere. Yeah. So that's kind of seems like almost a danger because we want our sermons to be applicable. Right. But sometimes. I mean, like I, I, I went to a church once and my sister and I went to this church and she kind of told me later, she's like, yeah, I've been here before and the sermons are kind of hit or miss. Hmm. And the sermon, it was like, they were doing a series about like marriage, but it was literally like they started with the Bible verse that was just sort of generally about love. Yeah. And then it was just like straight psychology, practical marriage counseling tips for 25 minutes. It was like that was not about Jesus whatsoever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, so so hollow. And of course, I wasn't married, so I didn't get anything out of it. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I don't know how you help because people, I think, assume that that's what they're going to find, and then that they that then church becomes hit or miss. Like, well, I'll come if it's going to be a good content or not. Mm-hmm. We want to have good content, but mm-hmm. if we can get our people to think this is about God. And it's about loving my neighbor. I'm going to go there because other people need me there to be encouraged. And I'm going to go there because I want to get out of my own head. And I want to just put the focus on Jesus. Well, and I think that's an argument that I that I hear often either from kind of Christians who don't necessarily practice. You know, sure. like, well, I don't need to go to church. Sure. I don't. You know, right. I don't like the organized piece of it or even non-Christians. You know, I don't I don't need to go to church. Sure. Why do I need to go to a, a building and be with yep. people? So... And I think the answer I would say would, you know, God designed us for him. And we were designed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves. And it's like, you know, you're starving for something. The great church father, Augustine, who lived a really shady life for quite a while, he was trying to fill himself up. He says, our hearts are restless until we rest in you until I have that peace that gets me outside of myself. That's what really it's all about. So, yeah, if we just reduce it to advice, I think you could find that anywhere. Hmm. Yeah. Would you tell those friends that they should go to church? <laughs> <laughs> Quit shooting all of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great... I think cri- it's a cop-out, honestly, for them to say that. I think it's a cop-out. Okay. Like, I just feel like it's, you know, it's an excuse. Sure. To not get up on a Sunday or whatever. Do you think they believe that do you feel like they they believe they don't need it or do you think they they're making an excuse and they actually do know deep down they need it deep down that they should (laughs) i'm not wrong i'm not sure i'm not wrong yeah no i'm i'm not sure but i just like it's a cop out the bible says that we we all have a natural knowledge of god like there is something that's longing inside of us how much we suppress it and how much we can kind of suppression yeah that's a good that's a good word good image yeah. yeah Well, Matt, you're free, man. Just get off all the shoulds and uh, know that God loves you and accepts you and worship him and, you know, open your Bible when to see that and however that works, you know, whatever that looks like. And I, I wonder if there's a way that we can, with the power of the Spirit, reframe all that. Yeah, reframe, I think, is a good word. I mm. think there's a lot of work to be done there. I and think I, we've done a good job here, but... I appreciate, you know, I think the honesty and mm-hmm. you telling your story and Matt, you tell, because I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people, how they feel, depending on the different backgrounds they grew up in. Mm-hmm. So 
All right. Awesome, guys. Until next time, right? Raven and Robot signing <laughs> off. We'll come up with yours. We'll come and up with vanilla. yours next week. Raven, vanilla, no. Robot and third guy. <laughs> Bye. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.